Hello and welcome to the JD Power Travel Podcast. I'm Mike Taylor and Happy New Year. Um, it's got to be a better year than the uh, 2020. At least we're all expecting that. So, And as always, uh, the three of us here will discuss uh, travel topics. Uh, I'm joined by Andrea Stokes, who's the uh, our Director of uh, Hospitality Studies. Hello, Andrea. Hello. And Jenny Corwin, who is uh, one of our senior analysts in Consumer Insights. Hello, Jenny. Hi, Mike. Hi, Andrea. Well, yeah. It's nice to hear you guys again. Happy New Year. It's 2021. So let's uh, let's roll. I get, you know, the, we've got a couple topics I think that we should uh, discuss among ourselves, uh, one of which I think is very controversial, um, whether or not there should be a travel vaccine or some kind of certification or digital certification for someone who says, I've been uh, actually taking the COVID-19 series or could uh, be completely immunized against COVID-19 and therefore I should be able to travel wherever and whenever I want. And uh, I do see some value in that from my opinion and uh, some uh, items that make, give me a little bit of pause. But I thought I'd first start with Andrea. And Andrea, what is your opinion? Is, is this a good idea, a bad idea? I think uh, it's, you know, probably you know, whether it's good or bad, it's, it's the reality. Uh, and I do think there will be, um, some kind of, um, card or some way to keep track of travelers vaccinations, especially for international travel. I'm not quite sure for domestic travel within the U S if it will, you know, play out, but, um, you know, in regard to traveling to other countries, uh, you know, and traveling uh, across countries, I think it's um, it's probably going to there's going to be something in place. It's just a question of when uh, that, you know, whether whether this is managed by airlines, whether this is um, managed through, um, you know, when you apply for a visa to travel to a country, uh, you know, it's it's the administration of it that I think is is going to be really difficult. But I, if you know, if certain countries can get this in place, I do think travelers internationally will will face face something like this. All right, and Jenny, what do you think? Good idea, bad idea? You know, I, I I struggle with with both of those options, good or bad. I, it it is what it is. Like Andrea said, I think that you know, I, I feel like the implementation is, it, just thinking about the the complexity of of how we get to that point is very difficult for me to to even wrap my head around. Um, I see that you know, for international travel, I think it it does make sense. It's probably easier to implement there because you have visas and passports and there's already other things that are required. In some countries, you do have to have certain uh, vaccinations to visit as it is. So, you know, adding on to that is one thing, but, uh, you know, for domestic travel or, you know, you've even seen it um, for you know, theme parks or, you know, for certain uh, attractions are saying they might require something like that. And that just seems like the, in- the enforcement would be quite quite a challenge. And, um, and then there's just other issues with, you know, in general vaccine distribution and how long do you want to limit the travel based on the ability of people not to get the vaccine and when is enough and how long do we do this? And we don't know how long 
the vaccine really works for at this point. So is this an annual thing like a flu shot? Um, there's just a lot of unknowns right now. Um, so it's, it's hard to say whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. I think it's going to be a challenge, though, either way. I was going to mention the cruise industry, and I do think the cruise industry is probably one sector of travel, especially domestic travel in the U.S. that, um, you know, where vaccination, some proof of vaccination probably will be required. It may not be required, you know, to fly, but, um, you know, when, when you take a cruise, there is quite a bit of information, you know, that you do have to provide. Um, and so I guess that affects, you know, international cruising to, you know, international locations as well. But I just wanted to, to jump in and, and talk a little bit about the cruise industry, given, given how that industry has been particularly devastated. And, and, you know, in fact, there are no cruises going on at all right now. Um, so I just wanted to mention that I think, you know, something like this will, it, it's, it's going to be required for, um, for cruises. Yeah. And for my part, I'd like to see this not happen. I, I think it's a, still an impediment to travel. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when we give, you know, everybody gives the analogy or some people give the analogy of, you know, you have to have uh, inoculation records to go to certain parts of, say, Africa or something. Um, and I don't think that's really analogous because that's usually very localized outbreaks. I think that the, the virus, COVID-19, has reached all continents, including Antarctica now. So there really isn't, you're not traveling to any particular area that is co completely devoid of the virus. And But I do see people want to having some reassurance to it. But it does kind of smack to me of, you know, of papers, please, you know, and, and we all were, I think part of this lockdown, at least from my perspective, is that we all look askance at each other. And I think it creates a lot of stress. Now, you know, I, Jenny, your points about the vaccine, whether it lasts a long time are very valid. Uh, because we rolled out this vaccine so quickly, which is great, modern medical miracle and all that. Uh, but uh, when you do have these long time frames for tests, in vivo and, you know, with live people, you kind of have a, a much better idea of how long they last. You know, these things usually last, these trials last for several years, not just several months like this one has. So we are going to have to have, go, go some, through some learning process, but I wouldn't want to make a decision based on the lack of information. Um, and that's the part that bothers me the most is we don't really know exactly if this would help us all at, at, at all in the travel industry or, you know, facilitating international commerce or international travel. So there are a lot of unknowns. I'd prefer to see it not happen, uh, just as my own, uh, you know, personal opinion, because I think it's going to be have a, it's going to be difficult to enforce. Um, I think there'll be a lot of problems with it. Uh, I think it could be easily faked. I mean, how do you know someone's actually been injected, and uh, who becomes the authority, and what's the cost of that? And then it's also an added burden on the airlines. Uh, and the cruise industry um, to make sure that all these passengers have it. And what's the liability there? You know, we live in the litigious society of the United States, and uh, that also does bother me as well. Are there any other thoughts on, on this before we move on to the next topic? I think uh, this this is an interesting question, too, when we think about the recovery of business travel. 
and and whether you know corporations will require you know employees to be vaccinated perhaps before they allow them to take business trips um, that's the question right and what um what will companies um put in place right so so they feel that the risk is minimized for their employees to you know to take business trips um for me if it if it helps the business travel sector recover uh i think you know we should do everything we can do <laughs> to bring back um to bring back business travel well, I know that, Andrea, you and I were talking, I think it was earlier today, about the level, the incidence level of business travel that we see. And in the studies that, that we've been doing on airport with our product Passenger View, which is a product where we use uh, people's logins for on their smartphones or on their laptops. When they log onto the Wi-Fi, they get an opportunity to take a very short survey from J.D. Power. And we found the instance to be around 20% for business travel. And that's probably two-thirds, 60, 65% of what we normally see in an airport. And I think that, Andrea, you told, I believe you told me that uh, you had also uh, seen 20% in your hotel study, which is also down from its normal level. That's is right. That correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So there's, mm -hmm. and, and I do hear from airports, which is extraordinarily logical, that they're not seeing business people traveling uh, and they're not using the kinds of services they normally would. And some of those services simply aren't being offered, such as uh, valet parking, for example. Uh, you don't want someone to get into your car or <laughs> the valet parker doesn't want to get into someone's car and drive it onto a, a lot, things like that. So uh, our next topic is also uh, COVID-19 related, which I would love to hear Andrea's position on whether hotels should be a vaccination site. Because, uh, you know, uh, again, here, what we've seen in the very states where you know we use the states as uh, as petri dishes to see you know what works and what doesn't work and we see that there are certain states like Florida where they're distributing the vaccine at grocery stores at large chain I think Publix is one of them grocery stores but do Andrea do you think it's a good idea for hotels to become a, a vaccination site for COVID-19? Well I think um, hotels have offered this uh, I've, I've been hearing that, um, given the, the pace at which vaccinations need to ramp up to get, to get this done quickly, um, and given the new, the new administration with the goal of, um, I think it was a hundred million vaccinations within a hundred days, um, they're going to need every resource uh, that's available, right? And um, yeah, I do. You know, I do not think this is, this can be done just relying on you know your local pharmacy or your local grocery store. I think they're going to have to be multiple, multiple uh, vaccination vaccination sites around um, in every city in every local area and hotels. Certainly, um, you know, some of them, you know, have have meeting meeting and convention space, right? That's not being used right now. Uh, very, very large spaces, in fact, um, that uh, could be used uh, in this way where, you know, and, and you could really have a large number of people going through these very large um, 
meeting spaces uh, as vaccination sites, right? So I, you know, I think, again, if hotels are willing to offer this, I think, again, every resource um, needs to be put to the effort. If, you know, truly we, we are going to get everyone vaccinated quickly. And Jenny, do you have any views on this topic? Yeah, I, I think for me, the biggest thing is, is location, right? I think the biggest challenge we're hearing about vaccine distribution is going to be in, in um, some of those hard to reach areas. And so if there is a, you know, a, a hotel with a space, it makes sense. But I, I feel like that's not generally where you're going to find a lot of the hotels with the large meeting and event spaces is, you know, in, in really rural areas. Um where you may not even have a, a Walgreens or a CVS or whatever the local pharmacy. So uh, that's, that's the challenge to me. I think, you know, it's great that, that hotels are looking to, you know, use their spaces to help the communities. I think that's great, but I, I just don't know how, how that's going to help get everybody that we need to get, I guess. And, um, and then there's the storage concerns too, like making sure they have the, the facilities available to, to store the vaccine, you know, at the you know, very, very cold temperatures it needs to be uh, in order to be distributed. So um, I, I think it would be a challenge, but I, I do think there are probably some, some city locations and uh, maybe some even suburban locations where this would be a, a really effective way to get the vaccine out to more people who want it. Yeah. And I think that uh, hotels have every incentive to get this uh, to get this uh, epidemic over with finally. So I think it, I think it's a good idea. And uh, I see some of the practicalities that you guys have mentioned, you know, storage and um, you know, as a my wife who has been vaccinated, um, she's very sensitive to vaccines and I was very fearful that she would have some anaphylactic shock, uh, which she did not. Uh, she didn't feel her well, very well for 2 days after this first round. Uh, but it wasn't as bad as some of the other vaccinations she's had. So you need to have, you know, you just can't show up and put a, a folding table up and then start, j you know, jabbing people's arms with hypodermics. Um, there's some things that for this particular vaccine that you need a little bit more backup, a little bit more support um, as well. And I thought, well, thanks very much, Jenny and Andrea. That you, made, you gave me some things to think about. I had some of those things you had mentioned I'd, I hadn't really thought of before. So I wanted to finish actually with uh, one of the questions I get very often as someone who helps run the uh, rental car study at J.D. Power is, gee, how can Hertz be doing so well in your study? They've won the last two years in a row. They've won the J.D. Power Award uh, when they're bankrupt. And uh, I've actually got that question on several occasions uh, in the travel space uh, because in the past, I have uh, very fond memories of handing the trophy to the old TWA airline uh, when it was based out of St. Louis at the time they were bankrupt. And so um, we haven't really talked about Hertz's bankruptcy. It's one of the larger bankruptcies uh, in the U.S. history. And wh where do they go from here? And the, the, to answer that first part of my own question or what question that people put to me is there's not really a strong one-to-one -one relationship between uh, the financial position of a company, whether or not they have the financing and the assets um, to make themselves solvent and how they treat the customer. Um, generally, those are, I find them, at least in our studies that I've done over the last 20 some years at JD Power, I haven't seen much of a correlation between bankruptcy and 
or financial position and customer service. So um, there is, however, during this pandemic, a real kind of hit or miss. Uh, Hertz is in a position now where it needs to close some of its smaller locations because they just can't make it work. Um, uh, most notably, I think the most recent ones have been there. I think they've closed three locations in Wyoming at very small airports, uh, obviously. Uh, so to concentrate on those uh, airports where they can have better cash flow and preserve their cash as well. So it's having some effect in smaller marketplaces where you're not getting that same kind of choice. There still are, of course, other rental car companies you can uh, patronize, but if you're a Hertz loyal member and you like that Hertz service, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to find in smaller markets. And that's probably the biggest impact that I've seen uh, of the Hertz bankruptcy is that it's only in certain markets where it's greatly affected. It's kind of either, either or, either you have it or you don't have it. So, but they've got to preserve themselves and get themselves back into a position where they can be solvent again. So Jenny, um, and it, do you have any thoughts or observations in the data that you've seen uh, or uh, reactions you've ha- seen between financial solvency and customer satisfaction? Well, I, I mean, I would say solvency, no. I Generally, we do see there's usually a positive correlation between, uh, you know, ha- customer satisfaction and customer retention. Um, but there's a lot of things that go into making, you know, having a lot of customers or retaining customers um, you know, financially profitable as well. So I, I think it's it's important to remember that satisfaction is is generally a, a big piece of profitability if you if you use it correctly. Um, that's not. To, I mean, obviously, there's some other issues going on with Hertz that had, has led them to this bankruptcy. But um, for the last couple of years, it doesn't seem to have affected their customer experience exactly. So. And Andrew, what about hospitality and hotels? Uh, you know, we do see hotel chains go in and out of business on a quite frequent basis. And uh, how does that look in the in JD Power studies and other things that you've seen in your years in the hospitality industry? Yeah, I think hospitality generally, um, you know, faces mergers. Not, you know, I haven't, I don't recall a recent large bankruptcy, but of course. We have we've had recent recent very large um, mergers, and uh, often when mergers happen, right there there's a company that's acquiring the customers of another company, and um, you know in some cases, right those those customers may not be as happy. They're you know now perhaps facing a new um, experience, a new a loyalty program, they're being merged into a new loyalty program, right? Um, and I think this has happened in airlines too, uh, where, you know, those customers feel like they're, you know, perhaps um, getting less, right? Getting a little bit less than they used to get in terms of benefits um, of being a, a loyal customer to the brand. So that's where um, we have seen impacts on, you know, customer satisfaction generally in in hospitality. Okay. Well, I think that's a good place to stop on our first podcast of 2021. And I want to thank, as always, Andrea Stokes, who leads our hospitality group at J.D. Power, and Jenny Corwin, who is a senior manager in our Consumer Insights. I'd also like to thank Dan Sharp, who's our producer and very patient with us all and our crazy schedules that we have. 
and also Kelly Shea, uh, who puts all this stuff together and keeps us all on the same page. So if you'd like to learn more about J.D. Power, especially in our travel group, you can go to jdpower.com slash business or click in the upper right-hand corner where it says business and you'll see the travel tile. Click on that. You'll see a lot of interesting things that we're doing. And it's a great place. It's a great website to wander around because there's an awful lot of information and um, about other topics that uh, impact not only the travel industry, but uh, the uh, economy of the world in general. So thanks again for your li- for listening, and we will see you next time, next month in February of 2021.